Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. I can't tell you how excited I am about this week's guest. I have fangirled Nadia Hussein ever since she gave her groundbreaking speech on Bake Off. I'm never going to put boundaries on myself ever again, she said. I'm never going to say I can't do it. I'm never going to say maybe... I'm never going to say I don't think I can. I can and I will. Cue millions of women and girls air punching on the sofa. Nadia has been breaking boundaries ever since. As well as presenting several TV series, Nadia is now the author of eight cookery books, including her latest, Nadia's Everyday Baking, a novel and a moving memoir aptly titled Finding My Voice. Nadia has well and truly found her voice and I could not be more thrilled that she chose to use it on the shift. There's always going to be somebody at the back trying to give you the version of me that is palatable. The version of me that is perfect for everybody's palate. Nadia joined me from a room of her very own, and as you will hear, that is no small thing, to talk learning to take up space, even in her own home, the moment that she realised being a boy opens doors that don't even exist for girls, becoming the independent woman her nan was scared of, and her life-changing mantra, elbows out. I'm very excited. Oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) I'm a sad fangirl. (laughs) There's nothing sad about it. (laughs) What's the big blue and yellow painting behind your head? So my brother is an artist and he did a mural on my wall. Um, This is my office and it's a silhouette of a mosque in the dark. And it's just some of my favourite colours. And it's got specks of glitter that you can't see unless you get really close. It's beautiful. Yeah, so this is my brother's work. It's really gorgeous and it colour coordinates as well with your scarf. Yes, it does. (laughs) Did you do that on purpose? No, not at all. Not at all. This is my milkmaid's dress that I just put on quickly because I've got a million things to do. I've got, I don't know why, I always find a reason to put the oven on, even when I don't really need to put it on. (laughs) So I'm just, I just felt like making some Yorkshire puddings today. So I put some batter in the fridge. Um, Yeah. You just felt like it. Have you always been like, you just feel like baking? 
Uh, when I'm stressed, I bake more. So yesterday, I, I've got carpal tunnel syndrome in my wrist, and um, oh, no. which is bound to happen because I'm a baker and I need dough and I stir and I mix and this right hand gets destroyed. But yesterday, I did all of my cooking for today. So the kids have dinner. So I thought, well, if I have the kitchen clear, then I can do other things. So I just really fancied some Yorkshire puddings, but we like to have them with jam and custard. Yeah, I think I've seen that in a book. Yeah, so we, we like to have them with jam in and then eat them while they're hot. So I'm just going to wait Yum. for the kids to get back. And my kids don't tend to get like apples for snacks. They tend to get like Yorkshire puddings with jam. <laughs> Are you one of those mums who doesn't let your kid eat any fun stuff? I mean, you, Yorkshire puddings and jam is fun. No, I am not that person at all. I am that mother who will, when the kids are doing homework and, and they do two hours every night, so they come home from school, they do two hours, then they do their Arabic practice because they read and write Arabic. So they've got to do that practice and that's with any language you've got to practice. So they've got to do that. So there's two and a half hours after they come home, they have to hand their phones in and they come in. And so quite Oh. like that I suppose yeah. um, because they won't get anything done if they don't hand their phones in so they do they have a spot in their dad's office where they hand their phones in and then they come home and, but I'm the mum who will like I'll knock on the door and then leave them like five wine gums <laughs> <laughs> Just because, like, those are going to be the lasting memories, aren't they? Like, that, those are the things that That's kids true. are going to remember is that, you know, while we were working away, my mum didn't just forget about us. You know, I'll take them a cup of tea or I'll take them some wine gums or a biscuit or something or a cookie. And that's the stuff they'll remember. So, no, I am not. Yeah, I'm not that mum at all. Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to go right back to the beginning and yeah. talk about little Nadia. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about growing up, what that was like for you? We grew up, and that's a big question because we grew up. Yeah, sorry, that's probably like five hours. It's huge, and I could go on forever, couldn't I? But I grew up in a family, so I'm one of six siblings, and we lived in a terraced house in Luton right on the outskirts of the kind of predominantly Asian area. It was the hub of activity. But we uh, grew up on a street where it was predominantly, again, Southeast Asians. Uh, lots of back then, you know, we had the butcher, we had the grocers and we had all of that. So everything was down the road. You know, my dad, he's an immigrant. My parents are immigrants and, and, and as are all of my relatives. And we're first generation British. So so we used to have, like, just to paint a picture of how busy our house was, there's already six of us where we live in a terrace, three-bedroom terrace, and my big sister used to sleep in the, in the box room. My parents had the middle room, and the biggest room was shared by the rest of us, so that's five of us in one oh room. God. And whilst I look at that and think, oh, gosh, I know as a kid I wanted my own room at a point. I think as a teenager, I remember dreaming about having my own bedroom. And to be honest, I've always shared I've always shared. Even now, even now I have to share with my husband. Um, but all five of us slept in that room together. And um, I didn't think anything of it till I was a teenager. But I loved sharing with them because you had like my sister who was a year older than me. But then I had my baby brother who was like two. And it was lovely because he would come in and he'd never sleep in his bed. He'd come and snuggle with me, um, which I used to love. Would but you we, like a room of your own? Yeah, well, I kind of, this is my space, which I love. Uh, everybody has a room in their house, but the spare bedroom I gave to the boys because they love gaming. So I thought, oh, let's give them a gaming space. And in the end, I realised, like, they already take up the space downstairs. They have the living room. They have games downstairs. They have the two living rooms they can use. 
And I thought, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So I went and undid it all. And my, my son always laughs at me because he says that I always kind of undo things and then put them back, but in a different way, but exactly the same. Um, and I just thought, no, you know what? I'm going to be a little bit selfish. I am going to actually take this room for myself. And I took it and I got my brother to paint on the wall. And I've got things up that make me feel comfortable in this space you know I have my wine gums I have my knitting in the corner I have my little chair which I sit on I sleep on yeah so everything in here is my space I hadn't really thought about that I hadn't really thought about the fact that I'd given myself my own space which this is the place and I have a sign on the door if it's shut don't come in and that's a totally new thing for you isn't it it's like you've been gradually taking up space as you've got older and you won bake off and you've become more vocal and outward facing but it's like the last bastion was to take up space in your own home yeah I hadn't even really thought about the fact that this room had so many purposes so it's been a prayer room it's been um, a spare bedroom where it's been beautifully dressed and nobody sleeps in it yeah beautifully dressed but there's no one to sleep in it and yeah so it was a space that we used up but I always found a different purpose for it. And then in the end, once I'd seen that the boys had taken the space, I kind of, I felt a pang of, hold on a second. Something about this Mm. doesn't feel right because they have so many spaces that they can call their own, which I call mine as well. But slowly I felt like I was being pushed out of those spaces because it was more important because as a parent, I want to give them space and I want them to be comfortable. And I found myself pushing myself out. So taking this space up was a big deal for me. And I Mm. can't imagine now giving this space up I couldn't give it to anyone anymore because I just couldn't because it's it's my space now it's really interesting isn't it do you think do you think that goes right back to being part of such a big family but also being a girl probably I say that but as you're asking me that question I'm thinking to myself if somebody a relative a family member came and said oh I need some space I would chuck all this in a skip and get them in here yeah I would I would default back to yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't think for a second that this is my space I'd say oh yeah we've got a room no problem I would literally skip the lot and not take a moment to think about the fact that it's my space at all I can't do it and I think that's probably one of my downfalls because I don't think about how things affect me before I act so I think there's two elements to this I think when I was talking about being a part of a big family it wasn't just us six and my parents it was also the extended family and to be fair to call it an extended family would be an insult because that's not what it was it was family you know everybody the door was unlocked everybody came and went as they pleased you never called and said oh I'm coming over like we would now you just turned up and so yes it's definitely to do with being a part of a big family but also being a woman and I talk about it a lot because I wrote a book Finding My Voice about Mm. being a woman and if I look back at some of the most poignant parts of my life and the different stages of my life it always came down to that hurdle is there because I'm a woman so yeah definitely being a woman has been something of a journey for me to get to a point where I accept who I am and perhaps accept that I'm a woman and accept the pitfalls that come with being a woman and yeah so it's been a long old journey and I think it's actually one that is going to be with me for the rest of my life as much as I think that's something that I can get away from and be liberated and be okay with and, and have an answer to every question I don't know I just think it's going to be something that's going to stick with me through every big important bit of life. When did you first become aware that you were, I suppose as a girl, that you were kind of not born equal, if you like? Is that the right way of putting it? Yeah, totally, totally, because we're not equal. That's I don't believe for a second that women are equal at all, which is really hard because I'm raising a woman myself, I'm raising a little mm. girl myself to 
be strong and um and it's hard because you see it like this morning my my daughter um they, it's non-uniform day and my daughter's wearing red and my son's like oh are you wearing that and I said you watch yourself duh yeah <laughs> do not put that in her head she is expressing herself she's beautiful and she wants to wear whatever she wants to wear I said enough if you like black and blue she does not like black and blue she likes red and pink and all the colors and pearls she wore pearls to school today and she looked beautiful oh bless um so I think for me the point where I realized and I think it's something that I felt my whole life growing up but there was a point when I realized that men have the upper hand because when we were in when we were in Bangladesh women would cook all day get the children to bed and they would sort of sit in a dimly lit kitchen waiting for the men to come back with all the vegetables and the chicken and whatever it was you know they didn't have refrigeration back then so they would come back and so the women would wait they wouldn't sleep they would wait till the men went to the market had cups of tea and chilled out in these dark markets and did whatever they did and bought all the vegetables home but this would be two three o'clock in the morning but these women wouldn't sleep they would sit and wait because it was their job to wait for the fresh produce to come in so they could chop it and preserve it and make sure it's ready to cook the next day without it spoiling and I was always baffled by that Mm. so you're not going to sleep at all well no because if they turn up we don't know when they're going to turn up and when they do we can't be asleep we have to be awake for it okay seemed weird but they seemed to be having a nice time in that there were women together and they were gossiping and and they were talking about all the things they couldn't really talk about when the men were around Mm. so I kind of used to love sitting around and fall I used to fall asleep on the we had floors made of buffalo dung so I would fall asleep on that with like dust on my face I remember um but I asked my dad I said dad can I go to the market and my dad said no no girls don't go to the market I go, what do you mean the girls don't go to the market? I must have been 11. Uh, And I said, what do you mean girls don't go to the market? And he said, well, because you're meant to be at home to do the cooking. So you can't go to the market. I was like, I want to go to the market. My dad said, you can't go to the market. And I started, I was quite... I was quite, I was like a I was like a, a dog with a bone and I, I was like dad I really want to go to the market and at the time my dad used to always cut my hair really short and lots of people thought that I was a boy because he'd cut it really short because he he kind of always wanted the idea that he had more boys than he had but he didn't so, oh, so he's creating hair. the illusion from a distance illusion so lots of people <laughs> assumed that my dad had a son and my dad just oh, used to say, just don't say anything just pretend like you are a boy and I was like okay I was quite mischievous and clearly manipulative I said well you cut my hair like a boy. You dress me like a boy. So I reckon that I reckon I can go to the market. And so Good my dad for like, you. Yeah, I did. I said, and he said, okay, well, okay, I'll take you to the market. And there I was, like, on my uncle's back. So he had me on his shoulder. And I could literally see for miles and miles. And it was just men drinking tea, just hanging around at these stalls, knowing very well those women are waiting up for them. You know, yeah, so not hurrying back. Oh, not hurrying back at all. Lots of tea. God knows, goodness knows what else. And buying their bits from the market and then coming home. It was one of the most amazing, amazing nights to get out there and see. But I was, I was the only girl. And if my dad said, if anyone asks, you are not a girl. I was like, okay, fine. Happy to lie just to get myself into the market. Mm. And I think that was the moment. That was the moment I realized that actually being a boy opens up doors that don't even exist for us. Um, and I went to the market every night after that 
But as soon as my hair got longer, it got cut shorter. And that was the only way I was able to go to the market is that if I disguised myself as a boy. And that's when I knew, I think there's something not, the balance is off kilter in this world, in this society, Mm. because like these women work so hard. They work so hard. They stay awake for the fear of being asleep when the men come home. And then they spend the rest of the night tidying and sorting vegetables and sorting fresh produce, only to go to bed for a couple of hours to be up again before the crack of dawn to sweep the yards and and get the children up and feed the kids and and it wasn't one person it was every family lived together in one kitchen so and I'm one of 67 grandkids so you just oh my god crazy yes my friend 67 grandkids I don't know the name of the last 10 I don't think (laughs) god it's like that saying isn't it where we see a wall other people see a door And it's like if you're like working class or a person of colour or a girl, all you see in front of you is a wall. And yet there are other people who see a door and there are other people who've got the keys. Yeah, that's, yeah. Your daughter's 12 now, isn't she? How how have you approached bringing her up to be, I guess, more like you now than you then? Um, I think a part of me has always been a fighter. Like if I look back and think about how stubborn I was, that wasn't stubborn. That was me trying to have a voice. Uh, and I look at it and I, th- I think I was stubborn, but actually I wasn't stubborn. I was just saying things that people didn't hear. I was saying things that people didn't want to hear. So I don't call it stubborn. I don't say it's stu- being stubborn and I don't call my daughter that because she says things people don't want to hear and she will say things out loud. What I've really wanted to do whilst raising my children, especially my little girl, is not to raise her with, with a bitterness because I still want her to be happy. I still want her to find joy in the little things. I didn't want to raise her resentful, like I grew up. You know, I grew up resenting my life, my culture. I resented being a woman. I resented being a part of a family. I resented all of those things. And I didn't want, I don't want that for my daughter. I don't want her to feel resentment for the life she was born into. Mm. I'd rather look at it as a challenge we were born into. And not everybody has the same challenges, you know, because I remember everyone saying that we're in the same boat during the pandemic. And I said, no, no, no. Yeah. And I just, I kept, I just like, no, we are not on the same boat. We are all in the same waters, but we are all, some of us in dinghies and some of us are in ships and yachts and, and such like. We are not all in the same boat. And some people weren't in boats at all, were they? At all, exactly. Some people were, you know, fighting for survival. Some people were, you know, drowning. So... Absolutely. So and that's how I kind of tell my daughter that we're not all in the we all we're all in the same waters, but you have to remember that we're not all in the same boat and we all have different opportunities. The opportunities you will have, younger me never had, and lots of people around you in your generation won't have. But what is unique is how I'm raising you. That's the thing that will never mm-hmm. ever replicate itself is how I raise you. And I raise her to believe in herself and not to see her gender. And I raise her to believe that her abilities are the thing that... Because lots of people say, oh, you're so lucky. And you can't get luck without graft. You cannot get nowhere near luck without graft. And I always tell my daughter, in order to be lucky, you have to graft, you have to work hard. That's something I learned from my family. And that's something Mm -hmm. that I can say that I took from them was graft. They all worked really hard. They still do work really, really hard. Um, Especially my mum and my nan, who worked really hard. By grafting, you make your own luck. And then when you see that luck and you take those opportunities, that's when you can say, do you know what? I am so damn good at what I do. You know, and it's taken me that process, that process of being 
working really hard, grafting, feeling lucky to being at a point in my life where I can scream it from the rooftops and say, actually, I'm not lucky. I'm actually really bloody good at what I do. And that is really important. So, you know, I am so honest with my kids. And I think that's the difference between how I was raised is that I raised my children with honesty. I talk about, you know, because we're parents, there's a hierarchy, but we're equal. You know, we're human beings. We are all okay to have and feel every emotion. And I, and, and I think that's the difference is I'm raising my daughter with honesty and telling her actually when she asks me a question, I don't sugarcoat it and give her a different version or a sweet version. Like even the tooth fairy, we were like, okay, so tooth fairy doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> if you want money, then we can just put some, we can give you some money. And so my husband said, I work so hard. The tooth fairy is not taking credit for my hard work. So he gave her a fiver. He gave my <laughs> son a fiver. And I was like, <laughs> and little things like that have really kind of, I think in some ways have, I see now because my kids are 16 and my boys are 16 and 15. I see the power in being honest with your children. I see that now because at 16 and 15, you know, I see what it means to be honest because my kids are very matter of fact. They kind of kind of know the ins and outs of lots of things and there's no hiding it from them. You know, like if I'm sad, I don't tell them that I'm not sad. I tell them, yeah, I am. I'm really sad today and this is how I'm feeling and this is how I'm going to work through it and I need you guys to understand. And that's not what we did. You know, I grew up around women who were thrifty, who were multifaceted, who worked hard, who grafted, but I didn't grow up around happy women. They were not happy. They did everything. They could do everything. You name it, they could do it. They did everything. What they didn't do was be happy. When you were a teenager, because like you were a, basically you were a gobby kid, weren't you? Yeah, gobby. And you've you've really found your voice now. So at some point, was it when you were a teenager? Was it taken away? You've gone from this kid going, I look like a boy, take me to the market, to you now. And in the middle, it seems like something happened, maybe. As it often does to girls, actually, in their teens. Yeah, there's that moment when you um, start your period. Mm. That's it, right? So you start your period. Well, the short hair won't do anymore. You've got to grow your hair out long. Because I suppose in a culture and a society like the one in Bangladesh, you're what, as soon as you hit a certain age, you know, you have to kind of almost, you're almost being prepped for marriage after that. And so, you know, I couldn't have the short hair anymore. And I, by the way, it felt like a pure act of defiance. But about three years, two years, two and a half years ago, I completely cut my hair into a pixie cut. I did. Oh. And my nan just said, you look like a boy. And, and she touched it and she said, do you like it? And I said, yeah. And she goes, is it easy to wash? I said, yeah. She goes, oh, I like it. My nan. Oh, your nan, 90 that's something. cool. My nan, who is 90 something, who has always had hair right down to her bottom, said, oh, she likes it. And she, she kept like rubbing her hand in it. And she goes, oh, that's so nice. My nan was the only woman who said she liked it. That's so interesting because I've heard you say before that, that you had become the ind independent woman that your nan was scared of. Yeah, yeah, because she That's she so she sees my independence and it scares her a little bit because she grew up, she came to this country when racism was rife. You know, my granddad was left for dead twice, beaten by English racist men. And so for her, God. she was afraid of English people. So she said, she, when I first started doing this, she said, so do you work with English people? And I said, yeah. And she said, do they try to beat you up? And stuff? I'm like, no, Nan, no. Like, just think about the world she's lived in. Like, it's... Oh. 
Poor and I'm woman. like, no, Nan, we work together. And she said, but you really, well, you like them. And I said, yeah, yeah, they're really nice, Nan. And then, you know, my home ec, who I've worked with for seven years, is Korean. And my Nan said, oh, I like him. I like him. I like him. He's not English. It's fine. He, I like him. It's just, she felt a sense of security. She said, you must take Rob with you wherever you go, okay? And I said, okay, Nan. So, you know, I, you know, I grew up around women who have been so sheltered and, and so afraid because they're immigrants and they never felt like they fitted in. So they had so many different layers that were stopping them from being free because they were too scared. You know, there's just too many layers to, to peel back to find that freedom. And I suppose generations later, I hope that, you know, my daughter's generation, the generation after that, there will be a different type of a freedom. Hopefully they'll be completely free and not feel held back or anchored by some of the things that they shouldn't be. What I was just wondering then when you were talking about what you want your daughter to be, you said everything changed when you started your periods. Did you know about periods? Were you told about them? Or did no. it... No, did it just... No, we weren't... They just descend. happened. But luckily, I mean, I don't really know how it worked out for my big sister because I, I have two older sisters before me. So luckily, I had two older sisters who'd started their period. But I was so afraid to tell my mom that I'd started my period that I walked to my nan's house, <laughs> who lived about 15 minutes from us, uh, grabbed all my stuff, walked to my nan's house. Then I called my mum from my nan's house and told her because I didn't want to tell her face to face because I didn't want to oh. see her. I didn't want to see the look of shame on her face. Mm. Because I think in our culture, starting your period meant that you were now no longer a child, but you're also there's a shame attached to periods in our culture. So you then couldn't, you never talked about periods. You never said it. Um, you would say, I am unwell. To say your period, you say, I am sick. And they work it out, people work out why you're sick. But that's also the same word for pregnancy. So there's no word for pregnancy either? I don't know if there is, there might be. But um, you can't say I'm with child. You have to say, I'm sick. Right. So you don't say, when you're on your period, we say, I'm sick. But when you're, when you're with child, if you're pregnant, then you say, my body is unwell. Right. I never grew up in a culture where you could say you were on your period or it, you were pregnant because there was shame attached to being pregnant or to having a period. And I remember even when I got pregnant with my eldest, I called my sister and told her, please, will you tell mum I'm pregnant? But your mum would have been really pleased, presumably. Yes, yeah, she was, of course she was, but she wouldn't show me that. Like, she wouldn't say, oh, I'm so happy for you, or, like, she wouldn't rub my tummy or anything. Like, she's never, ever rubbed or touched my stomach while I've been pregnant, ever. Like, she would never, like, I couldn't say to her, like, I would, my little brother at the time was, oh, I'm going to say 11, and I was pregnant, and I said, he would like, oh, let me, let me, let me feel the baby kick. And I'd let him see my bare stomach and he would touch it. Mm. And I'd be breastfeeding and he'd be kissing the baby. And he's literally right there. I'm like, okay, now, oh. come on. Okay. Yeah, he, was, right. he was 11 or 12 and he was, you know, and, and I used to happily breastfeed in front of my brothers, but I would never do that in front of my mum or my sisters because for them, there was so much shame attached to it. So if you think about it, I told my mum I started my period on the phone and I told my mum I was pregnant on the phone. So like through my sister. So there is a lot of shame attached to starting your period but that's a narrative that we've changed now because as soon as my niece started her period we took her shopping we threw her a party we bought her so much stuff that she was overwhelmed at how how we celebrated her starting her period that's and that's lovely. exactly what we've done for all of our nieces going forward is that we've 
thrown them parties and we've celebrated the fact they've started their period and we want no shame to be attached. And that for me is progress. Um, yeah, and I really? can't wait. Yeah, and I cannot wait for my daughter to start her period. And we say the word period, pregnant, penis, you name it. We say those <laughs> words in our house. I mean, imagine saying that in front. Like my, I think, I think it would kill my mom. I think she would die if I said any of those words in front of her. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Oh, how old is she now? Mommy is 59. Mommy's 59. Wow, so I'm immediately going to say, well, that's not very old. It's not. It's not at all. It's not at all. But I was having this conversation with my sister just yesterday. And yesterday I was really thinking about my mum. And I wrote a poem. So I write a poem a day to express how I feel that day. And I have been doing this for, since the 1st of January this year. And I have a, it's October now, and I have an entire book of poems. And it, I feel, it feels really good because when I look back at poems, I know where I was in my head when I wrote those poems. But I wrote this down. Women must submit to anger, but not feel it. But if we dare let a little slip out, then we are rude. We are uncooperative. We are difficult. So true so true so and true. this was this is a thought I had about my mum you know my mum she is quite an angry person um and she can get really she holds it back and then when she gets angry she gets really angry and then you know like I was having a conversation with my sister and she was like oh you know what mum's like she gets really angry I said but you know we can't say that we can't keep saying you know what she's like you know she gets angry you know maybe she is not allowed to express it any other way so it comes out as mm -hmm. anger but she's not uncooperative she's not being mean she's not being difficult she's expressing it because she doesn't know how else to because nobody will sit and talk to her nobody will take her opinions nobody will value what she has to say she's spent her whole life not being valued maybe that's why she shouts you know do we think about that and 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 my sister's like you're right you're right and I said we shout because we're not valued we shout because nobody's listening does that ever occur to you because and then every time we do somebody says oh you're just 
are you on your period or you're being yeah. uncooperative or you're being rude or you're being difficult or you're not and it's like no we're just expressing because we're not allowed to express any other way um but writing poetry every single day really has helped me to express myself do you feel like you've got better in general at expressing your anger your confidence your yourself your feelings as you've got older? Absolutely. One thing that I've learnt is that everybody, whether you're a man or a woman, and I say this as a, as a woman who has a husband and we're very different people. We emotionally, we're very, very different people. He's very matter of fact. He's very logical. You know, he doesn't cry easily. Whereas I'm the complete opposite. And weirdly, only yesterday, I must be having quite a time because only yesterday I said to him, you know, we may not emotionally express the same way, we may not emotionally understand things the same way. We may not see things the same way. We may be polar opposites, but all we need is to be understood however we express it. And he said, yeah, and, and I texted him this yesterday and, and he said, that's that's beautiful because that's, that's exactly right. It doesn't matter how we express our emotions and how we see things because we are going to always see them differently. But as long as we understand each other, that's all that matters. And that's a big place to get to for me, you know, to understand that my emotions are different to other people's and vice versa. But ultimately, all we want is to be understood and to be heard. And that's how I live my life as a parent. Um, That's how I live my life as a daughter, as a wife. Um, Because there are moments where I have, you know, there's a lot of pent up anger and resentment towards a lot of things that I have used anger as my only way of communicating. But now I use silence, I use calm, and I actually listen and I actually try to listen and I don't walk away. You know, often I would, when I can't handle a situation, my, my initial answer is to walk away and to hide. And then I don't do that anymore. So, yeah, you know, it's important to understand that we all express differently. As long as we're understood, we can all be on the same page. It's like it all goes back, doesn't it, I think, to taking up space. And being comfortable with other people taking up space, but also being comfortable with taking up the space, whether it's the physical room where we started or the airtime that you, many of us, aren't allowed to take up as yeah. when we're growing up. So like to just go back to your mum a moment. Given that you had to tell you started your period on the phone, there's probably zero likelihood, isn't there, of you speaking to her about menopause when the time comes? Do you know what? We're better at it, actually. It, it makes her uncomfortable, but... Um... I think through time, lots of people just kind of know that that's, I say it out loud, and it's still even now, because we're all, even though it's my generation, even like my sisters would not walk around and say, oh, I'm on my period. They wouldn't say it just because it's just, you know, they still have, like my sister still lives with her in-laws. So you've got to be really mindful of how you can say it. So I think lots of people have learned. They call me inappropriate in my family because everything I say is inappropriate, but really it's not. Um, And what looks like inappropriate behaviour in other people's family is completely normal behaviour in mine. And that's what's important to me. I don't Mm -hmm. care what happens outside of my house because I can't change that. I don't have the power to change everybody's homes. What I do have is the power to change mine. And we can say period, we can say pregnancy, we can use, you know, we penis, vagina, we can use those words in our house. And there is no... Not one person would bat an eyelid in our house. Not one person, because that is just normal in our house. And so my nephews always say, my nephew always say, oh, you're so inappropriate. And I'm like, really, I'm not. I'm not. Um, and my brother said, oh, we, we, we normally pray together. When you are on your period, you don't pray. Um, and my brother said, come on then, let's go. We're all going to go pray together. And I said, oh, I'm on my period. And he goes, 
quite announce it, why don't you? And I said, what? <laughs> what were you supposed to just quietly not go? Hide. Normally you just pretend like you're praying and sit in a room alone and then you come down and then everyone thinks you prayed, but really you haven't. So it's really tough because you kind of have to manoeuvre all of these different life situations that I think lots of people will listen to this and think are very, very weird because it's so alien to them, but it's not alien to a lot of people who will listen to it and think, oh, actually, I know what she means. But I can't, I don't have the power to change the world, but I do have the power to change my home. And my home holds the next generation who are going to go out into the world and they are the people who are going to uh, contribute and run this country alongside everybody else. So by making that change in my own home, I know I'm making a change to the world. Little as it may be, I know it's making a change. And that's really important for me. You're making those changes in your own home. But also, since you won Bake Off um, and you've you know written all sorts of different books and you've been on TV and you are you know sitting in publishing meetings and sitting in TV production meetings, you're changing the world in a bigger way too. Oh, am I changing the world? In a... Yes, yeah. You know, I didn't really think about that. If, you'd, if we'd spoken about this at the very beginning of my journey, at the beginning of my career, I would have said, no, you know what? I don't really want to think about that. I just, I want to just concentrate on what I'm doing. But of course, seven years later, I see the responsibility of taking up this space. And it's like somebody said a few days ago, to be it, you have to see it. Yeah, totally. And if you look at publishing, if you look at media, you don't see people like me. Still very, very few. You do not see people like me. And even then, like you see me, there's always going to be somebody at the back trying to give you the version of me that is palatable. The version of me that is perfect for everybody's palate. You know, so that's how it works. That's just how it works. It's not always easy, but that is how it works. Um, you know, I, it's been, it's been tough. I'm not going to even say for a second that it's been easy all the time. It hasn't. Um, trying to take up a space in a environment which was never meant for you means that you get people raising their eyebrows. You get people asking you questions. You get quizzed on your authenticity, on how British you are, or how Bangladeshi you are, or how, you know, Muslim you are. And that is really, really tough. So being a part of this world does not come easy, you know. And, and, and there, were, there have been moments where I've just said, oh, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore because it's boring. But I understand what representation means in this space because growing up, I didn't see women do jobs, let alone take up spaces on television. The only two people I could relate to were Lenny Henry and Ainsley Harriet, black men, you know? Yeah. So that just goes to show how underrepresented we were. And it's a question I asked myself a lot growing up was, if I don't see myself, do I even exist? And yeah. I didn't. I didn't exist. I didn't exist in books. I didn't exist as a character in a book. I didn't see names that I recognised. I didn't see faces like me. And now I get to be on mainstream television and be that face and be that name and write books where people recognise little coloured faces or names and say, oh, that could be me. And that is a huge responsibility that weighs really, really heavy sometimes. But it's a responsibility that I take with open arms. And one of the things that I teach my children is, you know, my kids, I've never been shy about telling my kids that they are going to be in situations in their life where they will be the only person in the room like them. You know, they will be the only person in the room and they will be the only person on a, in a meeting table where it's just them. They will be the minority. And I said, in those moments, guys, you are going to feel like closing in on yourself. 
you're not going to want to be the true you because you're going to ask yourself how you can fit into this group. And in those moments, remind yourself what mum has taught you and that is elbows out. And that's the kind of the action of physically putting your elbows out means you physically make yourself bigger, but also metaphorically create that space for yourself, you know, and say that this is my space and I'm going to own it, you know, and that is, that's a big thing. And it just even now gives me chills when I say it, because the amount of times as a 37 year old, I have to walk into a room and say, come on, elbows out, you can do this. It's fine. I know my kids are going to face those situations, but they will remember that mom said elbows out, make room for you. And for me, making room for me means that I'm making room for others. And so it's really important for me to continue to take up this space. And so this is where my job, my career is so much more than writing cookbooks and being on television. It's a responsibility. I love that because when you do it, it's like everybody listening, do it now. Yeah. You put your yeah. elbows out, you become physically bigger, your chest expands, Yeah. you become taller. You, but do you not breathe much more yeah. confidently. You kind of, you breathe more confidently. It changes and I tell kids, everything. Yeah, it changes everything. I genuinely, it's that, it's the affirmation that we live by. It's the thing that I tell, like, I checked my daughter's planner and she can write on certain pages and I can see she's written, you are beautiful. She's written, elbows out. She's written, be the best version of you. Um, and it's little affirmations that she tells herself, oh, which God love her. clearly she needs somewhere mm. somewhere she's feeling like perhaps she doesn't fit in perhaps she doesn't or she's feeling nervous she's obviously writing those things down because she needs them so I kind of like oh you've written that she said and yesterday she gave me a whole presentation on all the posters she's made and she's got a whole and I was laying in bed with her and she's giving me a presentation of all the posters that she'd made so yeah so I can see that my my kids are living by that god I don't know about you but it was bloody awful being a 12 year old girl I mean yeah it's not I fun really it. it's not it's fun, not fun. It's not fun at all. One thing I wanted to ask you is I noticed in your memoir, you had a chapter called The Earner. Mm. And it's so rare, even on this podcast where I talk to all kinds of women who are largely very successful in one way or another. It's very rare that women will talk about money. And I don't mean like the details of how much you got for X, but money, financial independence, the importance of that, the way women are still economically disadvantaged. And I love that you had a chapter in your book actually called The Earner that talks about your role as an earner. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting one because, again, I think it's the the Britishness of it all is that... So I'll give you two... They're contrasting worlds for me because there's a Britishness about you don't talk about how much you earn, you don't talk about money, it's crude. And then you've got... Like my dad will say... How much have you got in your account? Just he, no problem. He will ask. And and to lots of people, they'll hear this and say, oh, that's rude. But that's normal for us. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Like, my dad will say, oh, how much do you earn? How much did you make for this? And how much did you buy that car for? He will ask. And you Without tell any, him. Not always, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't... I always take it down a little bit because, yeah, I don't tell... I just don't. I always take it down. But I tell my mum. Like, if my mum asks, I'll tell her. I'm honest with my mum. But I don't always tell my dad because he's the kind of... He's not as tight-lipped. Like, he'll go around and say it. So, like, my mum... Whereas my mum is very secretive. So, I could tell her anything and she wouldn't... She wouldn't... It wouldn't leave her mouth. Um, so, this was a really interesting chapter for me to write and talk about because it's really odd because there's a British part of me. I've done it 
interviews where people have said, so are you a millionaire now? And I can't answer that question. I physically cannot answer that question. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did Kate Garraway's show and she asked me that at the end of the, the show. And I was like, that's a really odd one. I'm used that's to getting that. a weird that. question though. Yeah, so I get that question asked by family members and, and, and people within my community, yeah. but never anyone else. So I find that really, really odd. And so I just kind of usually reply with, well, you're going to tell me what council tax band you're in then? Because, yes. you know, give and take and all that. But it's an interesting one as a woman, because actually this very much involves my husband, because he gets asked quite often, what does it feel like for her to be the breadwinner? When mm. really they don't know our financial ins and outs. And my husband, bless his soul, has worked so hard for his career and worked so hard to uh, maintain us as a family for the best part of eight years of our lives. And he's done that really, really well. And we've, you know, we've had a nice life and he's got an amazing job and he earns really well. And he could, I could very easily stop this and he could carry on. And that's absolutely fine. But for my husband, as a man, like I, I realise how I've married somebody who is so amazing in that he doesn't have an ego like that. Because I think there are mm. very few men in the world who'd feel comfortable with a wife who out-earns them. Yeah. And my husband just says, it's great. Yeah. He's like, I mean, like he, his answer is, it's fantastic because we get to do things we've never done before. It's amazing. And what's hers is mine. So we're having a great time. So what's the yeah. problem? So we love it. And so he, he doesn't have an ego about it at all, which I definitely, like I applaud him for that because I know there are lots of men who would struggle with that. But that being said, you know, I've also out-earned every man in my family, every mm -hmm. single man in my family. And that makes people uncomfortable. Does it make the men in your family uncomfortable apart yes, from your husband? Yeah, 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 yeah. Apart from my husband, I think it makes everybody uncomfortable because, you know, I've had cousins say, you're getting too big for your boots. Oh, yeah, I've had cousins say, you know, you need to calm down. You're getting a bit big for your boots. I was like, I like they'd say that to a man. Yeah, you'd never say that to a man. But, you know, and my response now is, wouldn't you like a pair of my boots? Yes, good for Wouldn't you. That's you brilliant. Just love response. a pair of my boots, my friend. Um, so yeah, there's always someone who will. It's a backhanded compliment where they'll celebrate you, but equally try and put you exactly where they think you need to be. And I think the difference for me now is that I don't allow anyone to do that anymore. Like you don't get to tell me where I should be and where I shouldn't be. You know, I have a husband who supports me, and he is completely unlike most men that I grew up with. You know, he's supportive, he's mm. kind, and he's he celebrates me. He doesn't look at me as a as if we're competing. It was never competition. What's mine is his and vice versa, and we share. And that, that means that he has no ego in all of this. But he's really good at telling the kids, guys, so, you know, mum has this amazing career, but I want you to know that, you know, you could very easily just do a job that will give you 40 grand a year, and you have to be happy with that, guys, okay? <laughs> Mm, yeah, he's, he's, so he's really good at kind of managing their expectations, which is very sweet. Um, but yeah, I think I think that does make people really, really uncomfortable. But you know, you know, I get asked very personal questions about how much did you, how much did you make on this, and 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 these are like proper interviews. And my answer to it is probably a lot less than if I was a man. Yeah, totally. Uh, if I was a man, I probably would have got more for my book deal. If I was the man, then I probably would have got more for this show or that show for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's still a long way to go in that regard, oh, yeah. isn't there? People always say, like, are we doing better? But that, to me, is they're basically asking for permission to be to stop, as if we're here now, we've done really well, and do we stop now? And I hate that, because when people ask, are we doing better? It's almost like asking for permission to stop, because we're where we need to be, but we're not. We are worlds away from where we need to be. So, no, are we getting better? Yes, but it's very slow. Yeah, it's an excuse, isn't it? It's like going, right, 
job done. Exactly. And I'm not okay Moving with that. On. Like, no, 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 we're not. We're doing okay. Better is, is a big word, but you are doing all right. Brilliant. Um, right. I'm going to ask you the questions I always ask yeah. at the end. What's your emotional age? Probably 12 with my husband uh, and 37 with everyone else. I think I am my emotional age <laughs> with everybody. But if I'm with my husband, I am like, I think the only person I am below my emotional age is with my husband. Because I, if I'm annoyed with him, I won't talk to him sometimes. And I will roll my eyes at him and I will be grumpy. So my, but I think my emotional age is the age I am at now. I don't because I don't think I'm older or wiser than I I need to be, and I'm definitely not. Um, I'm definitely not like way beyond my teenage years. So yeah, definitely my age. Uh, give us a book recommendation. So it can be a book that's been really important to you your whole life, or it could just be a book that you loved recently. It can be anything. Um, the School of Life. Uh, I love the School of Life, and there's there's this beautiful green book that they do. It's called Small Pleasures, and it's absolutely tiny little stories, couple of pages, just enough to read. And what I love about them is that you can read one story, and it really does feel like you know you just you look at life very differently, and and you do look at the small pleasures. Uh, and and I think in a life where everything's so hard and so fast, it's wonderful to step back and and just look at the small things. Uh, what advice would you give younger women? Not everyone is deserving of your love. That's what I that would say. That is a good one. Thank you. Yes, I... Um, <laughs> How long did it take you to learn that? A long time. I still have to say it to myself now. Yeah, I still have to say it to myself even now. Um, I find myself constantly saying it to myself because I am the kind of person who gives and I'm the kind of person who gives so wholeheartedly. I'll give you my heart and my lungs and my kidney and my spleen at the same time. And... Sometimes it's my husband who has to say, enough, just stop. You're giving too much of you. Um, and yeah, so that's the advice I'd give younger women is not everyone is deserving of your love because there might be times in your life where you think that you want to give all of yourself. Just step back and ask yourself, do they deserve my love? Because you will find people in your life that don't deserve it. And when they, you know they don't deserve it, don't give it to them anymore. That is great advice. Who is your old bird role model? My dad. My grandma, she is the most amazing, amazing woman. She So she stays on and off between, like she lives with my mum, but she lives with my sister sometimes as well. So I've had her on my doorstep for a month and I've gone to see her every day for a month. And she left on Sunday and she's had a really hard life. She was orphaned at four, raised by just villagers, married off at 12. You know, she had her first period and her then her first baby and she didn't see a period for eight years because she was just having baby after baby. Oh she lost God. four of her own children four survived she doesn't read she doesn't write and um on Sunday I went to give her a hug and I held her and I cried and I cried into her lap and she just rubbed my head and she said I wish you had more love in your life I don't know why she said that she goes I wish I wish you were loved more in your life and I don't know where that came from and um I sat and I cried with her for a little while and she said I'd pray for you every day and I know she does she's the only person in the world I know prays for me every single day the only person in the world. And I don't even put my mum and dad into that. I'm sure my mum and dad are busy with their lives. But my no, my nan prays for me every single day. When I don't go to see her, she looks out of the window and waits for me. And then my sister has to, she will not go to bed. My sister calls me and says, come and see her, even if it's for two minutes, because she will not go to sleep. And I had to go and see her at one o'clock in the morning because she said that if she didn't know that I was okay and she didn't see me, she couldn't sleep. Oh. Oh, she's the most amazing, honestly. She has had the toughest life. 
as women go she has had the toughest life you know because she didn't she only had one son and you're mm. ostracized if you have one son and she had one son and one died but she had one son and she was ostracized her whole life for having one son and i remember i had my son and she said oh good now nobody will swear at you it's really important to remember isn't it what yeah women of that generation have lived through they have honestly they lived through hell and back and i look at my nan and she's such a simple person yet the most layered most deep human being i will ever meet in my life so my old bird is my nan for sure what's your superpower um apart from rollerblading can you rollerblade i can i can i can rollerblade i can't skate though skating is a whole other skill i can rollerblade love rollerblading um but i think kindness is probably my superpower i think putting everything aside and loving wholeheartedly is the thing that i can do um and i say that as one of the most difficult relationships to build is that of the relationship between myself and my brother's wives because in in our culture those two are not supposed to get along mm-hmm. it's kind of almost like as if they're supposed to be some sort of rivalry and i get along really really well with my sister-in-laws and that has been we've had to battle preconceptions we've had to battle norms we've had to battle people's preconceived ideas of what our relationship should be like and i can tell you now my younger brother who is 11 years younger than me and his wife literally i could spend every they lived with us for 8 months that's how much we get along but she said to me you are the one relationship that everybody thought that we wouldn't be able to do and we did it and we love each other so i love her like she's my flesh and blood and i said to my brother you cannot divorce your wife ever <laughs> you can't because i'll have to go have to go with her. I'll have to go with her unfortunately because I love her too much but yeah for me I think that's one of the hardest relationships to build and I think the fact that I've been able to do that is definitely because you know I let people in and I wholeheartedly love people. And my sister-in-law said to me you are going to be the best mother-in-law in the whole world. And I was like that for me is the best. Like when my kids get married I'm going to be the best mother-in-law. <laughs> and lastly how many fucks do you give? Too many unfortunately. See that that's the problem, right? because we all say i don't give any f's like i don't give an f about it anything right but the truth is it's not normal to not give an f you know you have to and that's what makes us human that's what makes us love that's what makes us sad that's what we because we care like if you didn't care how would you get through life we care so deeply it's hard to not give an f at all and problem with me is i give too many because i'm an overthinker but through time i've learnt who is worthy of them and not everyone is that is so brilliant nadia i love you even more than i did oh, when we started thank you you are great thank you so much thank you for listening you can hear a new episode of the shift each tuesday wherever you get your podcasts if you like what you hear please do rate review and follow because it really does help other people find us And if you'd like to support the shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at study.media/theshift. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 